Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> Hope everybody's doing well this morning. Can you hear me all right? Hear me all right? Okay. Well, um, I, I trust that uh, everybody's been working on your uh, memory verse that we have for this series in Second Timothy. And so uh, why don't we go ahead and try to say that together to get started this morning. Um, okay, 2 Timothy 4.18 is our memory verse, and let's say it together. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Excellent. Um, so today, uh, we're going to finish chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. We started it last week, and uh, if you're, you were here last week, or if you got to hear it online, you remember Pastor was helping us understand how, um, when it was talking about uh, the last days, okay, there's a couple of different ways that, that that's used sometimes in the Bible. In this instance, last days meant the period of time between Jesus rising from the grave and his second coming. And in other times, it's talking about um, the end times, last days. That can be synonymous with end times, last days. But here, it's not really talking about the end times. It's talking about the period of time between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. And what's interesting about that, I think, is, is that was the period of time Timothy was living in, where Paul was giving him some advice on how to deal with these end times, where he said there'd be difficult times. And we're living in those times. We're literally living in the same period he's describing as Timothy between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And, and he's saying that, that there's going to be difficult times. And he goes through this, this long list of, of the downward spiral that the world is going to go through and, and how it's going to, um, you, know, um, you know, this huge list of, of really terrible attributes um, that we, we got into. And, and the point to I think the second half of this chapter is, here's how you deal with that. Here, here's what you want to wrap your arms around because that's coming. I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And, and, and he says it's going to go from bad to worse. It's not only going to happen, it's going to get worse as you go, but here, here's what I got for you. Here, here's the advice I have for you on how you're going to get through it. And, and we're going we're gonna to enjoy um, that advice. Uh, the, the key that he says that we're going we're gonna to really dig into a little bit this morning is the Bible itself. That, that's going to be the key that's going to get you through this. Okay? Before we get into it, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for um, the gift of your holy word, uh, the scriptures that we can have as a tool, that we have as a, as a resource to get through the things that are going to happen in this world, Lord. And we, we do see them all around us. Um, and uh, I just pray that you give us the wisdom to uh, reach out and grab a hold of it um, as it's offered as a gift to us and, and to take that uh, to heart um, and to enjoy the benefits of it. Lord, I pray that uh, you would lead this discussion this morning, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand what you would have us to know um, from Second Timothy and that um, you'd be glorified by um, what we do coming out of it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in, in the light of the Bible being the key to this, um, as I understand his advice, it, it reminded me of something that happened to me er earlier in my career. 
I, I was uh, an executive at some mid-sized company uh, on the executive team. And, uh, and we were uh, getting together, and, and I was the only Christian on this team. It was, it was kind of weird. You know, you're not, us- not often am I in a group of people, and I'm literally the only Christian. And everybody else in this entire group um, aren't Christians. And this was an unusual group. Not only were they not Christians, they're really sort of opposed to the whole thing. It was just kind of a weird dynamic with them. And so, um, you know, anytime any kind of spiritual thing came up, and I got, you know, got the stiff arm. I, I literally, actually, I remember one time the, the finance person was in my office. We're talking about something, and it came up. Something was going on in her life or one of her kids' lives or something like that. And I started talking, you know, like I would normally do on, on my perspective of things. And she physically went like this. And backed out of my office. And I was like, you know, how, you, know you can't be any more bold in terms of, I don't want to hear it from you. And that's kind of how it was. It was just, just kind of odd, that, that period with that group. They didn't want to hear it from me. And it was just so guarded, um, uh, especially about anything having to do with my faith. And, and uh, I think that's not too typical. I mean, it's sort of like when you have, you know, a couple folks ringing your doorbell from the Jehovah's Witness. And the first thing is, what can I do to get rid of these people and move on with my day? And, and that's, that's just sort of the, the, the thing that went on there and, and, and in spades, except for one time. And that's what made it stand out so much in my mind. I still remember it to this day. It was so unusual how this situation took place in their interaction with me because it was so different from everything else that I experienced with them in dealing with anything spiritual. So we, we were in some kind of, you know, emergency meeting, this, this, the, the executive team, because, you know, the, it was a crisis. One of the key markets that we were in went soft, and the sales were down, and so the profits were suffering, and we were going to miss our quarterly numbers, you know, to, to the, the, the bigger company. And, you know, crisis, the budgets, you know, the bonuses are, are messed up. <laughs> it's time to get rally the troops and deal with this, right? And so um, at the time, I was ahead of marketing, and I knew I was going to end up on the hot seat in this meeting and to explain what's going on and why it happened and when it's going to come back and, you know, what, how we're going to deal with it and you know, what to expect and those kinds of things. And so I was doing some research, and I was digging into... Um, that market over the last 10 or 15 years and kind of what happened. And I remember seeing what what was going on right now happens like every three or four years. It's just just a cycle thing. And I I remember thinking that night, huh, that's just like that one scripture. And and I I know you've probably heard this before in Ecclesiastes 1.9. It says, uh, what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there's nothing new under the sun. You've heard that phrase before, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Everybody's heard that. And that's true. There is nothing new under the sun. I mean, any kind of little dynamic there is between two countries in the world, or, or frankly, you know, two of your neighbors down the street, whatever's going on between them, that's not new. That's something that's happened from time immemorial, and it'll happen again. There's nothing new under the sun. We, we weren't facing some new-to-the-world you know, event um, it was just a recurrence of what typically uh, happened in the cyclical nature of that market. So when the, pre- so when the president's like, you know, what are we going to do about this predicament that has just suddenly and un- unexpectedly doomed our quarter? I, I just kind of flippantly said, because huh, re- I, I remember from the night before, I go, huh, well, you know what the Bible says. And then the air left the room. 
<laughs> this is like total silence. And eight heads from around the table turned and stared at me, like literally holding their breath, waiting for some oracle or something. And, and it, I didn't mean it that way at all. I wasn't trying to be like, oh, I'm coming down from the mountain. You better listen to this special thing I got to say. It was a flippant comment just because it triggered that memory from, from me uh, thinking of that the night before. Well, you know what the Bible says. And, and, and it, it was so weird experiencing that because everything else I've experienced with these people were like, was like this. And then I say, well, you know what the Bible says. And then everybody there literally like waited with bated breath on what the Bible has to say. And, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to learn if, and, and I don't know this, but it wouldn't surprise me if not a single one of them ever saw a single word in the Bible that had ever actually seen the inside of one. And, and we all run into people like that all the time, right? You're, gonna, you're probably going to bump elbows with people this week who have never seen the inside of a Bible. It's happened. But what I think I learned that day is that even, even if I don't go to the effort to open and read it for myself, everybody really wants to know what's in it. I think everyone gets a sense that there, there's probably something kind of special about this book. There's something unique about it. And for good reason. And you don't have to know what's in the Bible to know that it has stood the test of time. You know, over thousands of years, hundreds of people have tried really hard, really smart people, right, to discredit the legitimacy of the Bible for lots of different reasons. Um, and, and yet it prevails. And everyone knows, even though if I don't know all the intricacies of that argument of why he was trying to discredit the Bible and why, you know, that couldn't be or whatever, even though I don't know about any of the details of that, I know that it's prevailed. I know it's been attacked. And I know it still stands at uh, the test of time. And, and it's outlived all of its critics. And er everyone sort of gets the notion of there's probably something to this book. There's probably something special about it. And, and even as a literary work, it's pretty amazing, actually. It's very unique. There's nothing like it in written language at all. It's very, it's very unique in its continuity, its consistency, its circulation, its survival, and it, its influence throughout history. It's, it stands alone. It's, it's a very special book. And, and everyone sort of kind of gets that notion, I think. Everyone is curious, what's in that thing? And when somebody who says they know will tell you, people will generally listen for, for, for good reason. Um, let me go down a little rabbit trail one time cause it, for a minute. Because this is something I, I, I think is just so cool about the Bible. I love to talk about it. One of my favorite authors um, is Chuck Missler. Have you ever heard of him, Chuck Missler? He's, he's got some really neat books. And um, this, this, is, uh, this is how he describes the Bible. Okay. He says, the great discovery is that the Bible is a message system. It's not simply 66 books penned by 40 different authors over thousands of years. The Bible is an integrated whole which bears the evidence of supernatural engineering in every detail. And just, that's just a really cool way to put it. And, and he backs that statement up with a lot of really fascinating um, you know, interesting insights that, he, he, that he's come up with over a lifetime of studying the Bible very carefully and, and diligently. And, and I want to give you one example of what I mean, and then we'll move on. But, but this is just kind of cool. And you might have seen this before, so maybe um, it's not that cool because you've already seen it. But if you haven't, 
This is a list of the ten names of the first lineage of mankind. Okay, it's it's literally the the first ten guys in order that begat each other, kind of a thing. Okay, so you know Adam was the very first person on man on earth, and he had a son named Seth, and son had a son named and and he had a son named and so forth and so on. These are direct. This is a direct lineage. This is the first genealogy of the Bible. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but names have meanings. You know, if if you buy a, a a baby naming book, it will give you an alphabetical list of all the names, and it will tell you what it means. All right. In fact, Joshua Caldwell has memorized one of those books, and if he hasn't already, if you go up to him after service, I guarantee you he will tell you what your name means. Won't you, Joshua? Yes, yes you will. <laughs> you go see him. It's fascinating. All these and 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 the Hebrew language takes takes this in spades. This is really, really gets into this. It, it means a lot in the Hebrew language, which, which is what Genesis chapter 5, where these names are, was written in. The, the names are very significant, and the meaning of the names, I should say, are very significant to, in, the, in the Hebrew language. Somebody was named something very specific because of what that individual was going to do or, or what was going to happen during his lifetime, or, you know, it, it had a point. If, if you knew the meaning of this person's name, it was supposed to tell you what to expect to happen. Okay, it, w- it was very important. Well, if you look at the meaning of that genealogy of the, of the, of the first 10 and lineage in the Bible, and, and you look up what the root Hebrew word is that, uh, it will give you these meanings. So Adam means man. And... Uh, I don't actually have it written here, and I can't see it that far. But you can see each, if each one of those names has a meaning. And you can get into, uh, you know, it could be this synonym or that synonym, but that's generally what, what they mean when you get in the Hebrew language. And if you, if you, put, if you put that, that lineage in a sentence, it's going to look something like this. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. Wow, is right. Here's the gospel message hidden in the genealogy of the first, or, or the first book of the Bible. And you're not going to convince me that some group of rabbi scholars conspired to put the Christian uh, message in, in, in the genealogy in the Torah. Okay, God did that. That's God. And th- this, this is over thousands of years. That genealogy, remember, they had long lifespans back then. That genealogy is over thousands of years. God did that. that. That's what it means by supernaturally engineered. That means it was written by God. And the Bible was supernaturally engineered. It, here's a truism that I, that I found out for myself, and you may find this also the case. The more you study the Bible, I mean, really study it, not like read it for 15 minutes in the morning like I usually do, but really study it, the more miraculous you're going to realize that it is and the more you're just going to crave it. The Bible really is supernaturally engineered. It, it, it was written by God himself. And, and in the second half of this book, uh, uh, chapter 3, um, Paul is going to explain how that's going to be a critical tool for Paul to have as he gets through these difficult times um, um, that, that are uh, the last days, okay? 
So we're going to look, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Let's start with verse 10, okay? Um, here, um, it says, um, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Here, Paul is acknowledging basically that, that Timothy is properly following um, how Paul is living, okay, as, as, you know, his mentor. And the word however, when it starts out here, it says you, however, you know, it means that he's contrasting this with something. So, Timothy, you're doing this, you know, or first he's saying this is going on. However, you're doing this. Okay, and, and so let's look back and see what he's contrasting for, for a minute. And this is where Brian was getting to last week where we're getting into difficult times. And they had this really exhaustive list of what people were going to do and what they're going to be like and, and, and the downward spiral they're going to go through. And just to help our contrast here, I'm going to read through that list real quick if, if you remember it from last week. Um, he said that people, uh, the world, okay, will be... Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. <gasps> I mean, that's a long, exhaustive list. That's, that's some dark days. And that's what he says it's going to be like in the last days. We're going to have difficult times. And then later in the chapter, we're going to see, he says it's going to go from bad to worse. Okay, that's what's going on. That's the contrast. And I, th and I think it, it's, in, and it's in contrast to how Timothy is living and emulating Paul, okay, in that list. And, and I, I think the idea in contrasting these two ways of living is, is sort of like this. It, it's just going to get uh, more painfully obvious that you're different than the world. Because you're going to try to live consistently through life, emulating Christ. And the world is not going to be consistent about anything. It's going to get from bad to worse, and it's going to keep going down. It's like between those two arrows. If you say that arrow going across is sort of how Timothy is emulating Paul, and he's being consistent, and, and he's, he's trying to uh, follow the way he, he's taught, his conduct, aim in life, faith, patience, love, steadfastness. But yet the world is going to go from bad to worse and that long list that I just read you, the difference between the two is going to get more and more stark. Okay, it's going to be, you're going to go from kind of sticking out to really sticking out like a sore thumb if you're consistent in, in your Christian life. And, and, and I say Christian, okay, okay, Paul's talking to Timothy, right? And Peter has warned us before that this is other people's mail or reading their mail. And so he's talking to Timothy, but, but I'm, I'm going to kind of take the, um, the liberty to say this applies to us as well. Because, uh, you know, back to what we started talking about, this is the period of time between Christ's first and second coming of the last, the last days when difficult times will come. We're in the same last days that he was talking to Timothy about. So I, I feel like the teaching, the advice that he has for Timothy applies to us as well, okay? And, and he does use some other inclusive terms like, you know, all who desire, and later on he says the man of God or the messenger of God. He's talking about, you know, generally people who, who are after God, not just Timothy. So I really feel like we, we do have the liberty to, to, to take this teaching and apply it to ourselves. And you can't always do that. You've got you to really be careful with that, um, as Peter will, will remind you. Um, so 
Um, so then he, he, he goes on to say that this obvious difference between the, uh, oops, the, uh, this obvious difference between the world and ourselves, and as it gets more and more obvious, is going to lead to persecutions and suffering. He says, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me, you know, at these places which I endured and the Lord rescued me, me from them. He's talking about, you know, living like this, emulating me, is going to lead to persecutions and suffering. And I always wondered why. Why is that? Why, why if you follow Christ and you choose to live that life, why does that bring persecutions and suffering? I've, I've always wondered, why does it have to be that way? Well, Christ gives us, Jesus himself gives us a little bit of insight into this. When we look at, um, oh, wait a minute. Where am I at? Sometimes this thing doesn't work like I want. We look at John chapter 3, verses 19. Can't quite get there. There we go. All right, John chapter 3, verses 19. Uh, Jesus himself said, uh, says, well, actually, let me, let me start with what Paul. Paul said that this is going to happen in verse 12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live uh, a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, okay? And so that's, that's why I'm like, well, why does that have to be true? Why, why does all who live a desi- uh, desire to live a godly life have to be persecuted? Why does that have to be so? And then Jesus gives us some insight in uh, John chapter 3, verses 19. Maybe, there we go. And Jesus says, the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. A negative reaction to Jesus Christ and all those who follow him starts with the world wanting to do what it wants to do when it wants to do it with no accountability. Basically, we want to be our own God. And, and, and do you remember what, uh, what Satan said to Eve uh, on the, at the first sin? You remember? He said, you will be like God. That's, that's the temptation. That's, that's the, you know, the inherent sinful nature of man is to want to be its own God, to be accountable to nothing, to make our own decisions and to run our own show. And, and, and that's, you know, that's, I believe, the, 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 the sinful nature that, that we have to deal with. And Jesus shines a light on that. It shines a light on, on your desire to be your own God. And it scatters into the corners like cockroaches that, hate, that hates light. And I think that anyone who tries to live uh, for Christ and follow him casts just a little bit of that light themselves. And the world hates it. it it's convicting. Jesus says in Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 22, you will be hated by all because of my name. And in 1 Peter 4.12, this, this is an interesting teaching Jesus gives us. He, he makes two points here in, in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So, as you, as you identify with Christ in his suffering, you will identify with Christ in his victory. If, if you commit yourself to following Jesus Christ, to make him king of your life, to become more and more like him in your Christian walk, Jesus says uh, uh, the world 
is going is to have a problem with you. And he's teaching you here in this verse two things. One, don't be surprised when it happens. And two, start getting excited because you're being identified with me. And when you're identifying with me in, your, in, in my suffering, you will be identified with me in my victory. So start getting ex- excited. And, and then, and then it, you, you think for a minute, okay, well, now what does this mean to be persecuted to us? Right? We're here in New Concord, Ohio in 2023. What does it mean to be persecuted? Thankfully, it's not to be like what happened to Paul, right? He was imprisoned, beaten with rods a few times, you know, scourged with leather straps, with you know, balls at the end, tear out the flesh, I don't know, four or five times. He was stoned nearly to death. I don't think any of those things are going to happen to us probably in, in uh, the United States in 2023. Although there are some... some pretty serious persecution still going on with Christians across the world. I don't know if you've ever seen the voice of the martyrs and some of those articles will shock you. What's still going on in today's age against Christians is, is, is sad. Well, that sort of thing doesn't really happen here. So what, what does that mean? How do we identify with that being persecuted? And, and I do have a rather weak, pathetic example, but it's an example, okay? And so when I was on that executive team and I was the only Christian, I, I was always kind of the weird guy that you didn't want to engage with to a large extent. I mean, they weren't like bullying me or whatever, but it was just weird. It was, you know, I was outside and there, you know, there are this inside. It's like a little junior high click weird thing. And, and I got over it. It wasn't that big of a deal, but, but it was a, a, it was tangible evidence that I was different, which is good when you look back. Because if, if I'm with a bunch of non-believers and not treated as different in any way, then I'm worried and, that am I different, right? You, you, want to, you want to be different. You want to be treated that way. And so when, when you're engaged with non-believers, you just kind of look for signs of um, they, they see me as different, okay? And, and that's sometimes going to be reacted to kind of harshly in, depending on the circumstance. All right, so then um, Paul goes on to tell Timothy the advice. This is where we're starting to get into this is what's going on, and this is what I want you to hold on to. This is how you're going to get through it, okay? He says, you, however, um, continue in the things you have learned and have become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, okay? So continue in things you have learned basically from Paul himself. He's like, stay steeped in sound doctrine. These things that I've taught you, continue in them, you know, camp out there. And, and I use the NSB uh, version of th- this particular verse because I love how this, this phrase is to become and, and have become convinced of. Continuing the things you have become convinced of. What are you convinced of? Ask yourself that. What are, what are you convinced of? And I think it's, it's really useful to take that seriously from time to time. What am, what am I really convinced of? You know, just take stock in, in what is it that I really believe that I'm absolutely certain is the truth and, and that's going to be your worldview. Your world You've heard that term, your worldview. All your worldview is, is here's the thing that I'm absolutely 100% convinced of, and I'm going to see everything I see and interpret it through that lens. It, it all, it, it, it's all based on starting from my worldview. That's how I interpret everything that's going on around me. And, and here's a suggestion. Make a list. Write it down. Think for a minute. Take some quiet time. And like, what do I really believe? 
What am I convinced that is actually true of, of, of this is a fact? And, and make a little list. Start, start at a really the highest level. And then as you go and you get convinced of something else, just add it to your list. Just, you know, stick it in your Bible. And, you know, you may, maybe you grab the Baptist faith, the message, and you're like, oh, what are these things am I convinced of? I can move to my list. And, and over time, you can have a pretty nice list that you can hold on to, and then you have it's tangible now. You can refer to it, right? Well, here, here's, if, if I look at the very highest level, here's an example. Here's my list right, of what I'm convinced of. Number one, there we go. Nope. Yeah, number one, that was it. <laughs> Sorry. Are you fighting me? All right. Is it just me? <laughs> All right. Number one, creation came from a creator. Okay? Convinced. It's, I'm, I'm 100% convinced in that. And there are a lot of people who work really hard to do some crazy mental gymnastics to think of a way it's possible that we're all here and all these living things are here without there being a God. And it's absurd. If you really get into it and you really look at what is your really reasoning there and what are you basing all this on, it takes a lot more faith to believe these crazy concocted theories than it does just to believe the truth that a creator created this. That's why there's a creation. It, there is a God and he is real. That's a fact. And, and, and I'm unmovable on that. And, and not just because my, my, you know, junior high teacher in 1980 told me it's true. It's because I've convinced, I, I've made, I've thought through this myself and I've looked at both all the arguments and, and I've really thought through it. And I'm sure this is absolutely true. Absolutely true. There is a God, okay? Well then, well, if there's a God, then, then what about him? What can I know about him? Well, the Bible says um, that, that we were separated from this God because of sin. And that he came up with a plan to redeem us all because he loves us. And that Jesus Christ came to this earth to fulfill that plan of redemption. Well, that's what the Bible says. That was, that's, that's what makes number three really important to me. I've become convinced that the Bible is true and reliable for other reasons, okay? And, 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 and it's important for you to really think through this yourself and consider everything, at least for me, the, the way I think. Uh, I, I can't be told this by a Sunday school teacher and take it as gospel. I have to reason through it myself and see all the evidence and compare the things and say, this is the conclusion. And the conclusion is the Bible is real. It's trustworthy. It's reliable. You know, the oodles of fulfilled prophecy and just unbelievable information to support the Bible. And, and it's worth looking into and being convinced of that. Well, then you can go back up to number two. Well, if the Bible's real and trustworthy, what does it say about God? Because I know there's a God. So there's my worldview. Have a worldview, write it down, stick it in your Bible, keep track of it, and hold on to it. Because as Paul says, tough times are coming. The craziness of the world is going to happen around you. And then you can, you can go back to your core, pull out that list, and all of a sudden the craziest stuff going around you, all of a sudden doesn't seem all that significant. And you can sit there and say, hmm, you know what? I know how all this ends. None of this matters. Relax. All right. So now in verse 15, I think this is where Paul's getting, um, he adds to the advice. Okay, hold on to your worldview, things I've taught you, you know, uh, sound doctrine, the things you're convinced of. And then he says, uh, um, and from childhood, how you have been, acquainted with the sacred writing. Okay, the sacred writing is the Holy Scripture. To Timothy, it is the Old Testament. To us, it's the whole Bible. The sacred writings, 
which are, which are uh, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, here's the thing. This is what's going to get Tim- Timothy through the difficult times that's going to come. It's going to be the bedrock, bedrock foundation of the word of God. And that's true for us as well. We've got to hold on tight to the bedrock foundation of the word of God. And, and, and I don't mean, you know, having it on your nightstand and a 15-minute devotion every day kind of a thing. I mean, really knowing what's in it. You know, that's, that's a great arrow for your quiver to really know what's in the word of God. And, and then he goes on in verse 16 to explain why that's such a wonderful thing to have. Why that's so completely trustworthy to be your bedrock foundation for what you know. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It comes from God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for correction, and for training in righteousness. He, he says, basically, that the source of this document, right here, is the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present creator of the universe. That's the source of this document. Wow. How are we not dying to know what's in this thing? And, and that's, that's his advice, is find out what's in this thing, because uh, you know the source. It is breathed by God. And, and it f- so it follows that we take it very seriously, and we study it, and we learn more of what's in it. But, but you know, knowing what's in, what's in here, uh, there's a purpose. There's a chief reason why we need to know what's in this book. And it's not to be saved, okay? Only faith in Jesus Christ can save you. And, and you, can, you cannot know a single word in this book and know Jesus Christ and be saved. You know, I almost guarantee you that the thief on the cross didn't dominate at Bible trivia night, right? <laughs> I'm sure of it. And so why is it so important that we study and learn what's in Scripture? Why is it so important? And he, and he explains that in, the, in verse 17. He says, so that the man of God may be complete, in other places it says adequate, equipped for every good work. For the Christian, it's so that you're going to be enabled to do what God has for you to do. I believe that every person in this room has a purpose that God has for you. God has given every, pur- every person in this room a purpose. In fact, he's given, he has a purpose for every person in the world. And one of the saddest things about uh, um, non-believers is that they don't know their purpose. They haven't discovered their purpose in God. And, and sometimes I wonder, have you ever seen those, vi- those videos or whatever where people are just wailing and gnashing teeth at some kind of protest or whatever, some kind of cause that, you know, that they're marching for? They're losing their minds. And you look at that video and you're like, what's going on in your life to where this cause has that effect on you? You feel this dramatic life and death, of, you know, feeling for this cause. What is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. They have made that their purpose because they have not identified the purpose that God has given them. And so, you know, we all need a purpose. You're, you're like, you're hardwired that way. You need a purpose, right? And so if, if you don't identify what God's purpose is for you, you're going to desperately seek it in some unhealthy way. And that's just, you know, the human condition there. And what this is saying is, okay, you're going to get a purpose and you're going to want to be equipped for it. Guess how you equip yourself for that purpose? This is the purpose th- for learning what's in this book. is so that the, the, the Christian is going to know 
uh, how, how, to, uh, how to accomplish what God has for him to do. We need to know what's in the Bible so that we can be equipped to fulfill the purposes of God that God has for us on this short time on earth. So, let's close. As uh, the worship team comes up, um, I just I got a couple things um, that I, that I want to say to, to kind of wrap this thing up. And then the worship team, you can come on up. And we're going we're gonna to close in worship. I'll just say two things. If you're a Christian, then, then what I'd ask you to do is just take note of what are you convinced of. Okay? Stay connected to that. Have, that, have your worldview defined for yourself and stay connected to that. And really importantly, study the Bible. I mean, really study it. Because uh, God, God's going to give you something totally awesome to do. And you're just going to want to be equipped to do it well, right? And, and if you're here and you're not saved and you don't know Jesus Christ yet, then, then I'd say you know, now's the time to deal with that. There's no reason to put that off a, a second longer. Okay, it's the most important decision you can make. And you may have some questions. I'm not really sure how that works. I'm not really sure why this and why that. And that's totally understandable. We're not born with this information. We learn it, all right? So come learn it. Take the first step today. Come see Brian or myself or Jay, and we'll, we'll walk you through it, and we'll make sure we understand what does this thing say uh, that you can take on as truth and you can start identifying with, and, you can, and then and you can take the next step in faith. There's, there's no reason to to put that off. I just ask you to take that step now. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for uh, the tools that you've given us to deal with um, what's going on uh, here um, in, in, in these last days and the difficult times, Lord, as the world kind of spirals downward around us. Would, would you help us to uh, still love them but yet protect ourselves with the, the, the tools you've given us Help us to hold on tight to our worldviews and to see everything and, and to prioritize in that way and to react in that way, Lord. And, and help us to uh, develop a great hunger for your word um, that we can uh, hold on to that and, and understand soundly what is true and what isn't true and um, protect us in that way, Lord. We just we praise you and thank you for that as a gift and uh, admit that we often take it for granted. Um, but uh, going forward, we, we, we really want to embrace that. Lord, help us to internalize this and, and, to, uh, and to live it out uh, in, in how, we, uh, how we use our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.